we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Well, I want you to turn with me this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we've taken a detour from our study of David. I mentioned that this morning, and we came back to it after our missions emphasis month. Uh, but we've been uh, on a lengthy detour from our study in 1 Corinthians with uh, our Sunday evening meetings in August and then our mission emphasis month in October and then all that took place in September. So it's been quite a while since we have been in uh, 1 Corinthians. And the 12th chapter provides really for us a natural break. And uh, so uh, we can pick up here, I think, uh, if you have not uh, been a part of this study, you can just jump right in here and uh, continue with us. Uh, this 12th chapter is, is, is very substantial, and it is full of doctrine, which is important for us to know, because we live in an age of deception, and there are implications that we will take from this passage that will help us. Our church is a Bible church. That means it's a Bible-believing church. The Bible, the Word of God, is our sole authority in matters of faith and practice. And that is an important doctrinal position for us. Because we live in an era where churches, many of churches, uh, believe that, uh, for example, men can receive revelation today or that the archaic, as it is expressed or called, uh, the archaic language of the Bible and the ancient positions that are taken in it about morality can somehow now shift and become adaptable to the culture. We reject that notion, but many embrace it in our society today. And so this is an important chapter for us, and I want to encourage you to do your best to follow along with me. Uh, we come now to chapter 12 and verse number 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord, and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues." 
But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts hath more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given the more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another." And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. We notice a phrase that we see in the opening verse of the 12th chapter. I would invite your attention to it. Uh, Paul begins this 12th chapter saying, now concerning spiritual gifts. I want to speak to you on that subject, concerning spiritual gifts. And I want you to understand the importance of understanding this, the importance of spiritual gifts as they play a role for us in the interaction and the function of the body of the, the New Testament church, the body of Christ. The Bible teaches that all of us individually are members. We are members of his body. We're baptized by one spirit into the body of Christ. And we assemble together the local New Testament church. We are the visible body of the Lord Jesus Christ in our community. And we have been equipped by the Holy Spirit to serve. So each of us have a vital role to play. 
That is something that I think many members of a church uh, really are at a loss for understanding. And that is that they, excuse me, they have been sovereignly chosen by God and placed into his body alongside the other members of the body to create, as Paul uh, painted the picture, a building not made with hands, to create a habitation of God by the Spirit. We together are the house of God. We are the body of Christ and a body functions. And it is the Spirit of God that has called us and separated us and placed us in this body and equipped us with spiritual gifts in order that we might function within the body and that the church be healthy and carry out the work the Lord has given us to do. Now, this is also important because it helps us to understand how our Bible was delivered to us and what role our Bible plays today. Because we live, as I said a moment ago, in an age of deception when many believe in continued revelation. There are certain religious groups who believe that their church is led by prophets, that their church, for example, uh, has a, a prophet or a head who is in the stead of Christ, and what comes from his mouth is the revelation of God. We reject that notion because what we believe is that the Scriptures are inspired of God, and they have been delivered to us, and therefore there is now no continuing revelation of God. God by his Spirit can speak to us, but he will not speak inconsistently with his word. But the revelation of God has been transmitted to us, and we have it. It's the Bible. Therefore, as I said in the beginning, we are a Bible church. Let's say that together. We are a Bible church. That's who we are, and may God help us. Now, Paul is writing here because he's saying to them, there are some things that you need to know about spiritual gifts. And we see that these spiritual gifts are a result of the operation of the Holy Spirit within the believer. And they're given for the edification of the body and the work of of the ministry. Spiritual gifts are not synonymous with natural talent. For example, these two men who just sang for us, God has gifted them with natural talent. He's also gifted them with spiritual gifts. But spiritual gifts and natural talent are not the same thing. We're grateful for natural talent and God can use it, but it must be submitted to and controlled by the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit empowers each of us with spiritual gifts. They are supernatural works of grace produced in our lives to equip us for service to Christ and to his church. Now notice what Paul says here in verse number two, ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols. What does he mean, the expression dumb idols? Well, it's not like oftentimes we would use the term dumb idol. It means that these idols are idols that have no life. They cannot speak. 
They're just objects. They cannot hear. They cannot speak. They're just objects of wood or stone or metal, whatever they're fashioned from. Wherefore, I give you, in verse 3, to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Here Paul identifies or distinguishes for us who it is that has the Holy Ghost. Unless someone is confessing that Christ is Lord, they do not possess the Holy Ghost. If the Holy Ghost dwells within someone, then they will freely uh, confess that Christ is Lord. And they cannot confess that Christ is Lord except the Holy Ghost be in them. And so Paul is giving us some identifying and some distinguishing marks to help us determine who it is that has the Spirit. Now, I want you to note some things in this passage concerning spiritual gifts. And there are four headings I want to give you, uh, and I'll give them to you, then we'll look at them. Uh, We won't get through all four of these this evening, so let me give you all four. Number one, the diversity of spiritual gifts within the church. The diversity of spiritual gifts within the church. Then secondly, the demonstration of spiritual gifts within the church. The demonstration of spiritual gifts within the church. Then thirdly, we'll note the design of spiritual gifts for the church. The design of spiritual gifts for the church. What is the purpose of for these spiritual gifts. And then lastly, the dependency upon spiritual gifts within the church. The dependency upon spiritual gifts within the church. Well, let's go back and let's look at number one. And uh, we see the diversity of spiritual gifts within the church. We find this in verses four through six. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. We notice the word diversities is used twice here, and the word differences is used here. Diversities, differences, and diversities. What, are we, what is emphasized in these verses? That what is emphasized is that there is a diverse work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. Though we have the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, though we serve the same Lord, the Lord Jesus, though we have the same God and Father of us all, we understand that uh, there are diverse works that God does within the framework and the context of the local church. So the spiritual gift is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And although there is one Spirit, one Lord, and one God, one Father, the particular gift, equipping, and function of the Spirit is different in each individual believer's life. So God has given us all different gifts and different roles to play within the church. Not everyone has the same gift. Not everyone has the same office or administration. 
For example, there are deacons, there are teachers, there's a pastor, there are assistant pastors, there are ministry leaders. We do not all have the same office or position in the church, but we have the same Lord. We do not all have the same gift or type of gift, but the same Holy Spirit has gifted us. And we do not have the same function in the church. There are diversities of operations, but is the same God which worketh all in all. Well, we get great comfort from that because we understand we're not all identical and we don't all have the same spiritual gift. And we don't all play the same role within the church. We do, we do not all do the same or carry out the same function. God, therefore, has placed us together. It is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Do you know why we have a church tonight? Do you know why you're in this church tonight? It is because the Holy Spirit of God has worked in your life to place you in this church. He has uniquely gifted you. He has given you an office, a role, a position to play, and he has empowered you to do the work he's given you to do. Now, if we all get a hold of that, it will change our view of the church and church membership and our function within it. This is a work of God, not a work of man. The diversity of spiritual gifts within the church. Then secondly, I would like for you to look in verses 7 through 11 at this thought, the demonstration of spiritual gifts within the church. Look, if you would, in verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now, you cannot look on an individual from the outside and see what the Holy Spirit is doing within them. But if they have confessed Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in them, and the Holy Spirit is working in them, and the Holy Spirit has gifted them, and what you can see are the gifts that the Spirit has given to them. The manifestation, that means it is seen, it is clearly demonstrated. The Bible said you will know them by their fruits. The fruits of the Spirit are given to us in Galatians chapter number 5. And we know that the gifts of the Spirit are manifest, and we're going to look at this list that Paul gives us that clearly demonstrates spiritual gifts and how they're given and how they're used and why they are important to the local New Testament church. You see, the manifestation of the gift of the Spirit is given for the purpose of profiting the whole body. Look again in verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So the gift that God has given you is a gift that God wants to use for the good of the entire congregation. The gift serves no private purpose. It is good for the entire church. And the gifts are demonstrated differently in each believer. Now, in this passage, Paul lists nine unique gifts in verses 8 through 10. And to help us understand these gifts, we must recognize there are two types of gifts 
that are listed here. There are permanent gifts and there are temporary gifts. Now that's important for us to understand. There are permanent gifts and there are temporary gifts. Now this is important as I said a moment ago because Paul told us that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. If we're to understand the Bible, then we must rightly divide the word of truth. And we understand that there are gifts that God has given to us, spiritual gifts that were given to the church. And some of those gifts are permanent gifts, meaning they are in operation today. And some of those gifts are temporary gifts, meaning that they are no longer in operation. Well, why would God give us gifts that are no longer in operation? Because God used those gifts to give us his word. And now that we have his word, there is no more use for those gifts. And so let me explain. Follow along with me if you would, please. First of all, we look at the permanent gifts. And the permanent gifts are given for the edification of the church to build up the church, to strengthen the church. And these gifts, as I said, continue throughout the church age, and they include gifts that we might call speaking gifts, wisdom. That's listed in this, in this passage. And knowledge, and this speaks of both in the context of the Word of God, wisdom concerning the Word of God, knowledge in interpreting the Word of God, and then prophecy, proclaiming the word of God. And then there are uh, service gifts listed here. Faith and discernment. Faith and discernment. So five of these gifts that are listed in these verses are permanent gifts. Four of them are temporary gifts. And these temporary gifts were given as signs to confirm the authority of the Scripture and its writers. And the temporary gifts were limited to the apostolic age, and they have ceased from that time. Those gifts include miracles. Does that mean that God no longer does miracles? Absolutely not. God does miracles. We believe in a miracle-working God. But we do not believe that someone possesses the ability, the spiritual gift to do a miracle and perform one. <clears throat> Sleight of hand, yes. Miracles, no. Healing. Healing. Now, we're thankful for doctors, and we know that God has gifted people to minister to people, but to heal the sick, as we find in the life and ministry of Christ and in the apostolic age, we do not see that gift beyond that age. Tongues, speaking in tongues. The ability to speak a language that you've not learned or been trained in, but as a result of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you to be able to speak, for example, Chinese or, or, or Korean or some dialect in, in Hindu or India uh, that, that you've never heard before, but being able to speak that perfectly, that's what we're speaking of in tongues. That, that was a gift given to the apostles and to the church in the apostolic age. 
and then the interpretation of tongues. These are temporary gifts. And they were given to authenticate, to validate that the apostles were speaking on behalf of God. Now, this is important because there are people today who will challenge you and say, how do you know that your Bible is the Word of God? Because it has the power, the authority of God behind it. And the message that has been delivered to us by the prophets and by the apostles is the message that was authenticated in their lives by the supernatural acts that they did. How do we know that Jesus is the Son of God? Because of the miracles he performed and because when he was crucified, on the third day, he came out of the grave. That is an undisputable fact that no one has ever disproven and it shows us that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. And how do we know the apostles wrote with authority? Because they had a measure of the fullness of the Holy Ghost upon their lives and they performed miracles and they healed the sick and they cast out devils in the name of Jesus. They performed all types of miracles. They spoke in tongues and people heard through the message of the tongue the wonderful works of God in their own language. And therefore, when they wrote, they wrote with authority of the Holy Ghost. And so we know their writings are true and authenticated. But as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And the reason they shall cease is because they are no more needed. The revelation of God is complete in the Bible. You see, a transition is taking place in the first century. There is no New Testament. It is being written, and the Spirit of God is sealing those servants who belong to him with his presence and his power to authenticate that they are who they profess to be. You see, there were all sorts of characters in the first century writing books professing to have doctrine and teachings. You hear Paul addressing it throughout his letters. And so how is the church to sort through that mess and say, who has authority? Well, God put his stamp of approval on those who had his authority. And so today we have the Bible. It is the finished, complete revelation of God. And it is, as I said a moment ago, it is our sole authority in matters of faith and practice. And we can rely upon it. We can take it to the bank. We can defend it because it defends itself. And no man has ever disproven the authority of the Scripture. B.B. Warfield wrote this. He said, the miraculous gifts that we read of here were part of the credentials of the apostles as authoritative agents of God in the founding of the church. Their function confined them distinctly to the apostolic church, and they necessarily passed away with it because their job was done. They gave us the word. Now, let's look at these gifts, and we'll spend probably the conclusion of our time uh, this evening looking at these gifts. First of all, we see in verse 8, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. Uh, Wisdom is used most often 
uh, here to refer to the ability to understand God's will and apply it obediently. So wisdom refers then basically to the person who is able to apply the truth of God's word, to the ability to make skillful and practical application of the truth to life situations. So let me give you a case in point. As I studied 1 Samuel 15, 16, and we looked at that this morning, I was asking God to give me wisdom to discern what the message was. Because you have David on the run, you have characters coming and going. What is God trying to say to us? You have David coming uh, to a point where the Bible says he came weary and refreshed. And how did he find that refreshment? Well, God opens to us by his spirit the scripture and helps us to see that we're dealing, just like David dealt with Ahithophel's, we deal with Ahithophel's. Uh, Just as David dealt with Ziba's, uh, insincere people who profess to be interested in us but really aren't, and to see that application and, and to make that application to our life. Or, or, or to see someone like Shammai, it just seems to be a perpetual enemy that no matter what the facts are, is going to accuse us of something we did not do. And to understand that we must give that to God and trust God with it and know that he will accomplish his purposes in those things. These are real trials that we face. The names are different. The circumstances are different. But nonetheless, God in his word addresses them for us. And having the wisdom to apply those spiritual truths and, uh, and, and, uh, to our life, that is a gift from God. In James chapter 1 and verse 5, the Bible said that if any of you lack wisdom, and we all lack it, thank God for the measure that we have, but we all wish we had more, right? If any of you, that means anybody in this room, so this is available to all of us. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. In other words, God's not holding out on you intentionally. God doesn't just want to give you a little bit. He will give to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So the Holy Spirit can give us wisdom to apply the Bible to our life situation. And we need that, don't we? That makes the Bible, not that it needs to make the Bible come alive. The Bible is alive, amen? But it helps us when we get into the Bible and see what is taking place, when the Spirit of God gifts us with wisdom to understand it and apply it to our lives. You cannot understand the Bible. You cannot apply the Bible rightly without the Holy Ghost. So the gift of wisdom. Then secondly, the gift of knowledge. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. The word of knowledge is a broad term, and it refers to this, perceiving and understanding the truths of God's word. It may have been a revelatory gift in the first century. In other words, we've heard preachers on television say, I'm getting a word of knowledge right now. No, he's not. He's not getting a word of knowledge. He's not getting a revelation from God. 
You know, there's a guy out there who's got a, you know, a bad heart, and I've just got a, a word of knowledge from the Lord that God is healing you. No, no, God did not reveal that to the fellow on television. To have a word of knowledge means that we perceive and understand God's truth. And while that was revelatory in the first century, it is no longer revelatory. In other words, God is not giving us continuous revelation. What God is doing is giving us the ability to understand what he's already revealed. So when someone tells you that they have a word of knowledge, uh, unless that word of knowledge applies to what God has said in his word and is consistent with it, then we reject it. That'll save you a lot of time and grief on Facebook. You know, the prophets on Facebook who told you that so-and-so was going to win the election and then he didn't. And then they had to explain to you why he didn't and that they somehow missed the revelation because they didn't have one to begin with. We have the word of God. It is sufficient. It is powerful. It is inspired. It is authoritative. And so the word of knowledge that he speaks of here speaks of the knowledge to understand, to grasp the meaning of God's revelation. And there's no doubt that God gives certain of his saints a special gift which enables them to study and discover the meaning of a text or a passage, individual words and phrases. Not everyone possesses that. That's why we have a church. We rely upon one another, and we communicate God's truth together to help everyone come to an understanding of the truth. Aren't you glad to be a part of the church? Well, here's the third one, verse 9. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Now, this is not referring to the measure of faith that is, that, that is required for us to uh, cry out to God for salvation, nor is it speaking of the faith that we need for each day. It is speaking of a gift of faith, as John MacArthur wrote in his commentary, with an intensive ability to trust God in difficult and demanding ways. Have you met people who have that gift? I mean, it's uncommon, the difficulties that they've seen and endured, and yet they have the gift to trust God in faith, to believe God in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the uh, things that stand in their way, uh, in spite of all that is going on around them. They possess, because of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in them, an ability to trust God in the face of of overwhelming obstacles and human impossibilities. It's the gift of faith. Someone asked me this week as we consider uh, all that the Lord is doing in our church, someone asked me, does this ever scare you? I said, every day. Every day. When you think about the enormity of what God wants to do, and the measure of faith that is required for us to step out and do what God wants us to do. Here's what we know about faith. Without it, it is impossible to please him. And if we'll trust God, we'll see God do great things. 
And as this person pointed out to me, if we want our children to exercise faith in the future, then they need to see their parents exercise faith now. And I said, amen. Preach on. I need to hear it. The gift of faith. Not everybody has it. I mean, you talk about purchasing a property for $2.9 million and, and people get nervous and white knuckles and, and going, oh, my goodness, how are we going to afford that? And what are we going to do? And, uh, you know, we want all the answers before we take one step. Listen, if we have all the answers before we take a step, we don't need faith. If we have all the funds and all the ideas, then we don't need God. But we go forward in faith trusting him. And if you don't have enough, borrow some from somebody else. That's why God's placed us all here. Listen, I, 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 I get apprehensive. I have doubts. I just have to keep trusting God. And do you know what? Can I tell you this by word of testimony? He has never failed. Now, this church is over 80 years old. I haven't been a part of it all 80 years. I've been a part of it the last 14 and a half. But I can tell you on authority, God has never failed at the Tabernacle Baptist Church. And he never will. Where God guides, God always provides. Amen? The gift of faith. The gift of healing the sick. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Well, we believe that God heals those who are sick, don't we? We believe that. That's why we pray for them. The Word of God tells us to pray for them. But we do believe that this is one of the gifts that the apostles had that is no longer in operation. It doesn't mean, again, that God cannot heal the sick. But what it means is that we don't have a guy walking through the hospitals and the shadow passing by is delivering them from their affliction. Have you seen that? You've seen these showmen on television try to simulate that. I'll guarantee you that Paul would not have had a television network trying to raise money. He would have been in the hospitals visiting the sick and afflicted, delivering them. And so while we do not believe that there are those who have the gift of healing... We do believe that God heals the sick. By the way, if the apostles had the gift of healing, if that continued, and in fact, if it was that urgent and that important to Paul, why was he sick? Now, we know that Paul healed the sick, but why was he sick? Why did he ask prayer for his dear friend and co-worker, Epaphroditus, who had been terribly ill? Why didn't he just show up and put hands on him? He didn't do that. Why didn't he say to Timothy, you having stomach problems? Come and see me. So we believe in a God who heals, but we believe this gift of healing is a gift that was given to the apostles to authenticate who they were and their message in the delivery of the word. Another gift along those same lines we read of in verse 10, to another, the working of miracles. Throughout the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus, he performed miracles, and those miracles served as signs. And what did those signs point to? They pointed to his deity. They pointed to his deity. 
Uh, when they saw him calm the winds and waves, <laughs> his disciples looked upon him and, and they said, this, this, this man is no ordinary man. Oh, no. Nicodemus said, no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And so these miracles were, were given, this gift of miracles was given to the apostles to authenticate that they were exactly who they professed to be, true apostles, and that their writings could be trusted as authoritative writings. In Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, we have a record of this. In verse 12, the Bible said, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Verse 14, And the believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. This gift of miracles. Then we read of the next gift. This is the sixth in the list, the gift of prophecy. What does this mean? Well, a prophet in the Old Testament, he delivered God's message it was a message that had not been previously delivered. He received revelation and he spoke. The apostles, they received revelation. When Paul penned uh, the New Testament, much of the epistles that he penned, or when the, the gospel writers penned those truths that we read of in the gospels, or we read Peter's words and John's words in the New Testament, we understand that they were speaking, they were writing and delivering revelation from God. They were prophets and apostles. But today, prophets do not receive continual revelation. In other words, there's nobody who can come to you and say today, they've got a new revelation from God. If they say that, they are refuting the word of God. Because that which is perfect has come, the completed revelation that is sufficient for salvation, for the transformation of the believer and his sanctification, and for proclamation. So what does a prophet do? He proclaims what God says. But unlike the Old Testament prophets or even the New Testament apostles, we are not proclaiming what God is saying today. We're proclaiming what God has already said. We're proclaiming the message of God's word. The gift of prophecy. Then number seven, the gift of discernment. To another discerning of spirits. The basic meaning of discernment then has the idea of examination. We are to try the spirits. And then we are to determine if the spirits are from God or from the devil. And by the way, the devil is working overtime to bring confusion and deception into this world. Paul wrote this in Acts 20 and verse 29 as he spoke to the elders at Ephesus. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. This is why John wrote in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. What does the devil seek to do? Well, he can't destroy the message of God, but he's seeking to corrupt it through these false teachers and false prophets. And those who've been given the gift of discernment have a special ability a gift from the Holy Spirit to recognize lying spirits. He is the Spirit's watchdog. In Acts chapter number 17, the Bible speaks of the Bereans. And the Bible says this uh, concerning them in Acts 17 verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. What did they do? They took what they heard and they searched the scriptures to test what they were hearing by what the scripture was saying. And if what they were hearing did not mesh with the scripture, then they would have rejected it. But when they heard the preaching of the word of God and they saw that it was consistent with the testimony of the scripture, they received it with all readiness of mind. You see, the devil has counterfeit teachers today who are seeking to draw people away. In fact, the Bible tells us that the deception in the end times will be so strong that if it were possible, the very elect would be deceived. So understanding this passage is very important for us. Well, we have two more, and then we'll be done for this evening. The eighth gift he lists, to another diverse kinds of tongues. Don't let that word divers throw you off. It's not a word we use very often. It doesn't refer to people who jump in the water. It just means different. Diverse, the word diverse, divers. People who spoke different languages. You see, when we read of the use of the tongues in the New Testament, we read about people who uttered not gibberish, not something they concocted, but a real viable language that was spoken by a real people group. Now, in Acts chapter 2, there were people gathered at Pentecost from all over the region, from all over uh, the world, and they were there at the Feast of Pentecost. And when the Spirit of God came upon the apostles, there were visible physical signs that something was taking place. And then these apostles began to speak in tongues. The disciples began to speak in tongues. And here was the testimony of the people who were gathered round about from the different areas of the world. And there's a long list you can read in verses 8 through 11 that tells you where they came from. And this is what they concluded. We do hear them speak in our tongues. We do hear them speak in our tongues. We do hear them speak in our language. The wonderful works of God. You see, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14, and we'll look at this later, but Paul wrote this, Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, not to the church, but to them that believe not. 
I mean, here's all these people, and they're gathered here in Jerusalem from all over the world, and they hear the wonderful works of God spoken in their language, and they're going, what in the world is going on? I mean, it would be like you and I showing up in India and walking in a market, and all of a sudden, we're speaking the language of these people, a language we hadn't studied, a language we didn't even know existed. That was the supernatural work of the Spirit, the gift of speaking in tongues. And then lastly, in verse 10 to another, the interpretation of tongues. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 27, the Bible said, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. Now, the Corinthian church really got off on tongues. They got off on the wrong foot. They got off into a, a, an arena of confusion. And so Paul is correcting them here concerning this. And as I said, we'll study this later. But notice his words in verse 28. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. If there's no one to interpret what is being said, then what good is it? What good is it? So why was the, why was the gift of tongues given? To communicate the message of Christ to those who wouldn't have heard it otherwise. That's why it was given. And it was given to the apostles and the disciples to give them authority and to, and to authenticate who they were, to validate their message. And so we see the manifestation of these gifts. Now, what does this knowledge do for me? Well, it deepens my conviction about a few things. It deepens my conviction that the Spirit of God has placed me in his body and in particular in this church. That he has gifted me to do the job that he has assigned me to do and that if I do it, I will benefit the body. If I don't do it, then I'm robbing the body. I'm not contributing to the body. So as a result, what should I do? I should surrender to God, submit myself to him, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and get down to business of serving him in this church. God didn't save you to take a seat. He saved you to serve. So let's get busy. Let's get busy for Jesus. The gift isn't given to us so we can sit on it. And it deepens my conviction, secondly, about the authority of this book, the Word of God, and my conviction about what it says and how it directs me and the church. And it protects me. It guards me from false teachers and false prophets who go beyond the boundaries of Scripture. It unifies God's body. And so we're thankful that Paul wrote to us concerning spiritual gifts. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, 
as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.